This is David Hilton, someone who is a special person to me. He has a little boy in the room, Braden. Braden, where are you right now, Braden? Braden is sitting by his fiancée. Do you ever think you'd hear those words? No, not, not really. Not, David, is your mic on? I think so. Yes, okay. okay. Uh, if you have been in our church for several years, you know, we will occasionally do an interview where we bring someone on stage and we talk to them about their uh, life story and their relationship with Christ. And uh, David has agreed to do this. He's got a great story. You may not like the sermon at all in a few minutes, but you're going to like what David has to say. David, you grew up uh, church going home, didn't you? Good moral family. That's right. Uh, I came, grew up in this church. Uh, my family was very active. My mother worked at the church when I was a kid. My dad was a deacon, so I was here all the time as, as a kid. His church. mother told me after the first service, this is pretty neat, uh, this building here was built in 1965. It was major remodeled about 10 or 14 years ago. But there used to be like a clinic hospital right here. You were born right here, right. weren't you? I was born where the sanctuary is yeah. now. And, and the, the <laughs> church was right over there at that point. Right. So that's going to be significant in a moment, your, fir- your first birth. David, you were a young, uh, young man, young uh, older boy. You walked the aisle, joined the church, didn't you? Right. As about... Uh, Ten-year-old or so, um, I, what we call then, I joined the church, which basically I went and talked to the pastor. I knew all the right answers and uh, uh, came forward and was baptized. And, and at the time, I thought, hey, I'd taken care of it. David, growing up, you were, uh, you, you know, you weren't perfect, but you were, you were a good teenager, good young man, weren't you, moral person? Right. I wasn't a rebel by any means. I was overall, as you said, I wasn't perfect, but I was, I was a good kid. Good, a good guy. You, you meet Susan, you get married, you have a litter of boys. and uh... Right. Right. We uh, finished tech and moved to Shreveport, and uh, Susan and I got married. We were active in church over there, had started a family, Moved back to Ruston in the late 80s and uh, came back to this church and, and joined and, and as, you know, were, were active then. And, David, through the years, uh, you have been very active in church. I've been your pastor right. almost 15 years. You've been very active in church. Uh, you, I, I was ordained you as a deacon after I got here early. You've been the chairman of the personnel committee. You've been on the stewardship committee. You have... Uh, You've served in a lot of... You've been very faithful and active in the church, haven't you? Right, right. And, which is a, a wonderful thing. And everybody, including me, we felt like you were solid with Jesus, correct? That's, that's right. I'm sure the appearance was that I was, was solid with Jesus right. and I was a safe person. Now, none of you ever do this, but, you know, occasionally somebody, you go, well, I don't know about that person, whether they know Jesus or not. You're, you're not being judgmental. You're just going, you know, I don't know about that. I, but you know, David wasn't one of, one of those guys. And then something happened, David. Tell us about that. Right. Um, I think it was in 2012, there was a revival here at the church, and William Blackburn was the, the preacher for the revival. And uh, we had a number of decisions that were made during that revival, but, but two key ones for my family were my wife, Susan, and my son, Braden. And uh, Susan and I, of course, had been married for several years, and uh, she was raised Catholic. And, and when we started, um, when we got married, we, she came to church with me at the, at the Baptist church, and you know, had been faithful along with me at church all those years, and it's, Braden had 
uh, been baptized as a, a child and uh, was actually feeling the, the call to be in the ministry at the time. And both of them made decisions. And, uh, you know, Braden, obviously, if you're going to be in the ministry, it's pretty important that you're a Christian. And um, so he made that decision. It, helps. it does help. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, Susan, as I said, also made the decision. Both right. of them were baptized. And it said that was in 2012. Right. And I guess from time to time before that, I would have uh, doubts about whether I was really saved. And I would uh, kind of think through that. I would pray, through, pray about it. But, you know, I would always end up discounting it and saying, yeah, you're, you're good. And, and I think after that happened, I had those thoughts a lot more. Uh, and I remember praying to God, hey, don't give up on me, God. If I'm not saved, I, I really need to get that right with God. So I kind of went through that for, for a while. Right. Yeah, that, that 2012 revival, uh, I, I've seen more people say did a revival, but we had about 25 that, that four-day period, and, and a lot of them were church leaders. That was a profound, uh, uh, very impactful, wasn't it? Right. A couple of years later, William Blackburn's going to come back and preach, he calls me on, so he doesn't. His wife calls me Saturday afternoon. He's claiming fake or faking illness or he's ill or what? I don't know. But then I find out on Saturday afternoon, and contrary to what you think, I don't prepare my messages on Saturday night. And so I find out I got to preach. Right. And everybody's very disappointed Sunday morning, right? So. Yeah, and. and hey, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> um. So as we, we move toward that revival with William Blackburn coming back, uh, I guess my thought with, with Susan and Braden being saved when he was before, it, it, it made me start thinking about it more. Hey, this same guy's come, coming back. And so I was thinking about it more and more, and, you know, I was really coming to the realization I needed to do something. Right. And, um, you know, we got here that morning, and... Uh, as you said, he was sick or faking being sick or whatever, and uh, you were going to preach. And in in a way, it was a little bit of a relief. I'm like, hey, the guy that uh, that saved my son and my daughter is not here, the so I'm kind of off on. the hook. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think that was my initial thought is that, you know, a little bit of relief. But then you preached, and, uh, and I said, God had been working on me for for a while before this and you said exactly what I needed to hear that day mm-hmm. and, and I remember sitting or standing in the pew during the or in, during the invitation and feeling such a strong compulsion to come forward and make a decision uh, you know I, I couldn't help but make that decision that morning and I, I just felt like it was at that point something that I had to do had to do David you came down and again you've been chairman of the deacons been the leader for years and you were saved and we baptized you and uh, that's profound I mean because that that was hard to do wasn't it it was and and you know I, there was a little bit of okay what are people going to think but I I'd experienced and seen with others that had come forward, including family members, um, you know, Tony Corley, my Sunday school teacher that, 
you know, had also been very faithful in the church. And I saw that when they came forward, the support that they got from the church and not that, hey, you know, what have you been doing all this time when you weren't saved and you were in a leadership position? So, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I guess I was a little uncomfortable making the decision, but at the same time, I knew from, from seeing what had happened with others right. that I would get nothing but support, and that right. was very much the case. And, and that's, uh, you know, I, I'm proud of our church for many reasons, but I've seen that when people would come forward who were leaders, deacons, and give their life to Christ. People weren't walking around and going, I knew you were lost. Uh, they were very supportive and very, very loving. Right. You know, David, I told you this back when it happened, and it's a very scary thing. I, I told you that a week before that, if I would have done your funeral, with confidence, I would have said, David is in heaven with Jesus, and that would not have been the case, would it? That's, you're exactly right. And I remember you saying that, and, and you know, as a young person, I, I thought that myself. I thought I was a Christian, but, uh, you know, as I, I read my Bible more, I came to church more, I realized that there was something missing, and I, I kind of had the, the, you know, brain knowledge of Jesus, but I didn't really move it down to heart knowledge of accepting. Right. David, you know, there's a lot of people here this morning, and there's people right, right where you were spiritually two years ago. What, what would you say to them this morning? I think for me, you know, I, I, you're, I kind of view in, in this congregation there are three three types of people. There are those that are saved and they know they're saved. And and great for you. You don't have any doubts and, you know, we will be together in heaven one day. But I think there's also those that know they're not saved and there are those that were like me for so many years that questioned whether whether I was <laughs> saved and and uh you know, God's working on you, and, and I think there's no reason to wait um, for, you know, I, I think a lot of times you think, well, I'm young or whatever, uh, I've got time to make this decision, and that's not always the case. You don't know what will happen, so, you know, obviously that's important because you need to to be prepared for eternity, but I think even now, the if you make a decision now, the peace that you get and uh, just having Jesus in your life makes so much of a difference today. So, you know, there's really no reason to, to wait. And, I, again, from, from what I've seen with, with Chris and with the rest of the church staff and with the entire church, I received nothing but support when I made my decision. There are people here that, that will support you. And, uh, you know, if you do have a question and, and, you know, you feel like you need to talk to somebody, I'm sure Chris and the rest of the church staff would be glad to talk to you. I would be glad to talk to you. And, and there's many others that would. So I would, what I would say is don't be like I was. And it took me years to really get to, to the point of saying, okay, i got to do something. Do that now and get it taken care of. Amen. Would you all give David a hand for a great job?
Would you pray with me real quick? God, thank you so much for David and his courage to share. And Lord, open our hearts and our eyes right now, God. Help us to hear what we need to hear and to do what we need to do. And it's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, David. When I was in college, I had a psychology professor for, I actually had the same guy for three classes. And I remember him saying, and I've read this even recently, that you have to be careful about telling people you should do this, or you ought to do this, or you must do this. You know, if you're married, you you don't necessarily like your spouse telling you you ought to do this, or you must do this. And you put that on yourself sometimes, that's putting a psychological burden on you that that can be tough. But I'm going to contradict that teaching this morning because of what Jesus says. And I want to tell you about something you and I must do. If you want to have a great year, young people, if you want to start this school year off right, if you want to have a great life, if you want to, your life to end up in heaven someday, you, this is something you and I must do. We're in John chapter 3, John chapter 3, and I want to begin with this. Your greatest need, my greatest need, our greatest need is to be born again. It's to have what the Bible describes as a second birth. You right now may be thinking, I need a short sermon. I'll try to help you on that. You may need a donut or a Big Mac. You can have that in 30 or 40 minutes. What the Bible says very clearly is that you and I, our greatest need is this second birth. In in John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Let me tell you, this one verse is packed full of stuff that's important. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. A Pharisee, if you've been in church much, you've heard the term Pharisee and Sadducee. A Pharisee was an ultra-conservative biblical scholar. In Jesus' day, there was only 6,000 of them in Israel. To become a Pharisee, at some point, you had to, in front of three witnesses, say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life agreeing to live out the, the, the smallest details of the Old Testament law perfectly. I'm going to do everything I can to live out the law perfectly. These guys were scholars. These are the ones that were teaching in the synagogues. They were the ones teaching in the temple. The Sadducees were more liberal. These were more conservative. Probably uh, this guy, Nicodemus, we'll see more in a moment, probably was had some money. He was probably from a good family. It says that he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. This meant that he was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, if you, you've heard that term if you've been in church, that's the group that ultimately decided on killing Jesus. That was the high court of Judaism. Now, they were under the Roman government in this time, but th- there were 70 people on the Sanhedrin, and they were the power people people of the whole country. There were more Sadducees on it than Pharisees, but there were some Pharisees. So you think if you're in a group of 6,000 and then you're chosen to be one of 25 or 30 to represent your group on the high court, that's power. This guy was a Jew by birth. He would have been very conservative. He would have been extremely well educated in the Bible. He was probably had a good pedigree. He had good mommy and daddy, and he probably had money. And he comes to Jesus in verse 2. The man came to Jesus by night 
and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He, he's coming at night. Scholars have probably argued for 2,000 years. Why did he come at night? He did for two reasons. One of two reasons, maybe both. One, he didn't want his buddies to see him going to Jesus. He was sneaking in the preacher's back door late at night uh, because he was ashamed. He was kind of embarrassed to go and to seek this help. He also may have gone very well because he knew he could have more privacy and more time alone with Jesus. And he approaches Jesus. And, and listen, our pictures, all Pharisees were bad. That's not true. In fact, Nicodemus, I believe, later on became a Christian. But, but he approaches Jesus and he's complimenting. He calls him rabbi, which is saying, my teacher, teacher. And he starts with some religious questions and religious talk to him. But look what Jesus jumps right in the middle in verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had a need in his heart. He may not even have been able to identify it. But Jesus radically switched the subject. It's like you coming to me after church and saying, hey, I like your shirt, and me looking back at you and saying, did you tithe this morning? I mean, that would be odd, wouldn't it? And, and that Nicodemus comes, and all of a sudden, this carpenter turns the table on this highly religious person, and he says, Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, what he was saying, that God's rule, you want to have the best life here, a fulfilling life here, you want forgiveness here, you want to go to heaven when you die, you have got to have an encounter with God that is so radical, it's, it's equal to being born a second time. Now, to simplify this, born again means born from above. It, it, it means to have a second birth. It's a, it's a new birth. It's synonymous to say someone's born again. I've heard people say, well, I don't want to be a born again Christian. There's no such thing as being a Christian who's not born again. It's, a, there's a, it's the same thing. To be born again is to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be born again. To be a believer or a follower of Christ is to be born again. And can you imagine the shock that this guy, this Navy SEAL of Jewish religion must have felt, this guy with a PhD in Old Testament studies, this guy may have had the first five books of the Bible memorized, and here Jesus looks at him and says, despite your mom, despite your dad, despite your, your breeding, your money, your upbringing, your status in society, despite how well you can argue the Bible, if you don't have an encounter with me that is so radical, it's called a second birth, Nicodemus, you'll die and bust hell wide open. <clears throat> This morning, before we move forward, I would just throw this back at you and at me. Maybe you're here this morning and you're religious. Maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you're like Nicodemus. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Nicodemus was a good moral person. Maybe you know the Bible, man, and you can spit it out, spew it out. <clears throat> maybe you been in this church or a church for years and years and years and you've been a deacon or you've been a minister, you've been in the praise team or you teach Sunday school. Jesus throws it back at us and he says, you cannot, you cannot be under my reign and my rule. You can never experience the life I have for you here on this earth and you will never go to heaven no matter how clean cut and well you smell unless you have a 
born-again experience. So let's answer this question. How are we born again? I, I mean, I, I think you would all agree. I think everybody would have to agree this is pretty important. And, and you may be wondering this morning, how are we born again? So is Nicodemus. Look in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mama's womb and be born? We don't know how old Nicodemus was. Let's say he was 50. His mom maybe was in the nursing home in Jerusalem. Maybe she's, in, she's dead. And he's saying, wait a second. You've just said I've got to be born. How can I be born a second time? I can't crawl back in my mama's uh, tummy and, and be reborn, can I? And Jesus nicely answers him in verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let me explain that because that can be confusing. Some people say that's water. That means you've got to be baptized to be saved. I don't believe that's what it's saying at all. In fact, I think what we're going to see in a moment would contradict that. Some people say, and this may be true, that Jesus was saying to, to, have a, to enter this world, you have to have a physical birth. You enter this world through water, don't you, birth? And that's how you become a human being. And then you, uh, on earth, and you to have a heavenly birth, you need to be born again that way. But it's also interesting. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today that won't be on the screens. So write these down if you have a notepad. Jesus may have been talking about the Bible here, the Word of God. In Titus 3, 5... And Ephesians 5, 26, Titus 3, 5, Ephesians 5, 26, it compares the Word of God, we would say the Bible, to water in its cleansing and its refreshing nature, its purifying nature. So Jesus may have been saying, hey, it's as the Word of God is presented to you, it's spoken to you, and you receive that, and the Spirit comes into your life that you have an experience with God that's so radical it's equivalent to being born again. Nicodemus still doesn't get it. But Jesus continues, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Jesus said. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. The bottom line is, you and I cannot ever fully understand this. It's supernatural. I, I watch the weather a lot in the week because I know if it's raining on Sunday, a lot of you are going to stay at home. Someone said it takes 200 gallons to baptize a Baptist and two drops of water to keep them in bed. And I think that's true. And one great thing about the weathermen is they are the only people that can keep their job and be right 10% of the time. Amen. But we, we know the wind comes. We know. We, don't, we can't explain it. The weatherman can't figure it out. But we accept that. And Jesus was saying here... Part of the spiritual birth is supernatural, and you're never going to get your head and your, your eyes and mind around it. Look in verse 9, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? He still doesn't get it. Verse 10, Jesus answered, how are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Jesus is saying, why won't you just get this? Why won't you accept it? But I think in these following verses, Jesus lays it out so clear. Look in verse 14 through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's the cross. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus just told us how to be born again right there. Now the catch is, and what trips a lot of people up, is the word believe. 
If you read the whole New Testament, it will, this will make sense what I'm fixing to tell you. The word believe, though, does not simply mean intellectual acceptance. How many of you believe that Martin Luther King Jr. and Abraham Lincoln existed? And that they were pretty good guys? And that they did some really good things? How many of you have surrendered your life to them? Zero. I, I believe in those guys. I accept that they lived. I believe they lived. I believe they were good guys. To be, to be born again, you have to believe facts about Jesus. You have to accept by faith that he's the son of God. You have to accept he died on the cross. You have to accept that he arose from the dead. But folks, here's the catch. The devil believes all that. In James 2.19, if you're taking notes, it says you believe there's one God. Good. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Folks, the devil knows Jesus is the Son of God. The devil knows he died on the cross. The devil know, knows that Jesus, he, he watched it all. He saw it. And I always like to laugh and say the devil might be a Baptist, but he's not a Christian. And you didn't laugh. I said Presbyterian in the first service, and they laughed. So maybe we'll try. The devil's non-denomination. Is that better? <laughs> so believing in Christ has to move beyond an intellectual experience to a heart experience. See, here's what believing in Christ means. I accept the facts, and then whether I'm 7, 8, 9, or I'm 90, I say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm repenting of my sins, and I'm surrendering my life to you. Believe in Christ, biblically, means I'm following Jesus with my life. I'm surrendering to him and giving him my life. I, heard, I read a story this week about three men who were trapped in a cove on a beach. None of them could swim. They'd been looking at seashells or something. The tide came in. There's cliffs all around. There's no way out. They panic and split up. One's a philosopher, one's a scientist, and one's a common man. A helicopter comes with a rope first to the philosopher, and it drops the rope, and the philosopher looks at the rope, and he says, that's a rope. Or maybe it's not a rope. Maybe it's an illusion of a rope. And what can a rope do for a man? Or what should a man do for a rope? And he drowned. It went to the scientist next, and the scientist looked at it and said, that is a rope. I wonder what that's made out of. I wonder what the texture of it is. I wonder how strong it is. Will that rope pull me halfway up and break and drop me in the water? I wonder where that rope was manufactured or whether it was done with slave labor or people who were paid well, and he drowned. And the rope went to the common man, and he looked at it, and he says, it's a rope. He grabbed it, and he hung on for dear life, and it pulled him to safety. You see, the problem we have, I think, in the South more than anywhere else, is that we philosophize, and we debate, and we look at the type of rope it is, and some of us are going to drown. And Jesus says there comes a point where you just got to reach out, and you got to grab the rope. And see, this experience... If it's really happened to you, it's so radical, the Bible says, it's called being born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of my favorite verses. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, when you're born again, it, it's, you, you get a new life. You get a new experience. You're not made better. You are changed. It's radical, isn't it? So let me ask you this. Have you ever been born again? Have you ever been born again? Verse 3, Jesus said, truly, truly. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a moment. 
I say to you, unless every woman and man and young person in this room, unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. You will never enjoy the life God has for you here on this earth. You will never go to heaven someday. I want to give you five quick things to test yourself by. Let's test ourselves this morning to see if we've been born again. Number one, when did this happen? Now, you don't have to be able to say, I was eight years old, and I was in Grandma Moses' Sunday school class, and she, was, she got a lighter out and stuck it under my hand and told me that's what hell was going to feel like, and I got saved. <laughs> Amen, Grandma Moses, if she got you saved. But, folks, if your experience is you've had a rebirth, you ought to remember when that happened. Amen. See, here's what a lot of us do. We go, well, I remember when I was christened. I, I was sprinkled. That's great. I was baptized. That's great. I joined the church. Like David said, that's how we kind of identified that years ago was someone come down and they joined the church. Instead of saying what we need to be saying, they, they got saved. When did you get, when did you really, when were you born again? When did it happen? When did it happen? Here's the second thing. People who've been born again, they are uncomfortable in sin. They're uncomfortable with sin. They're not perfect. But they're just not comfortable. First John would be a great book today to go home and read. First John will take you 10 minutes to read. Five chapters. First John 3, 6, and I'm paraphrasing. It basically says the person who's saved does not continue to sin. Now, what, what does that mean? Because it doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. Everybody in this room has sinned probably today. I probably ate a little too much of a cinnamon roll and crossed into the gluttony lane about 1030 this morning. Eating a cinnamon roll at all is probably gluttony to some extent, I guess. I don't know. It's not a matter of whether you sin or I sin. It's can we waller around in it? How many of you this week said something you shouldn't have said? Some of you just lied. Are you uncomfortable with your lie? One of the things is, if you're saved, you're going to say stuff you shouldn't. But you're going to apologize to God and the people you need to. When I got saved, I had been, uh, I had been living a hard party life. And I got saved, and it was radical. I mean, it was a, a drunk hung over Saturday night to a born-again Christian on Monday night. And for six months, I did great. Then I fell off the wagon, literally. And I started going back into the bars that I'd gone in before I was saved. And these were not nice Christian bars. I'm not sure where those exist, but... And I, I was real comfortable in those places before. I was comfortable with the language. I was comfortable with seeing who could turn the keg up and finish it off. I was comfortable with the fighting... I went to redneck places where girls fought. That's a redneck bar, amen? Look at my girlfriend out there, man. She's tough. And then she comes and wants a dip of your snuff. That's that's when you know you found your woman there, right? And I went back in those same places, and I was miserable. I didn't know what it was, but you know what it was? I was taking the Holy Spirit in there now. And the Holy Spirit was like, you can come in here and sit, but I ain't happy in here. He uses better grammar, but... You see, a Christian sins, you're just not comfortable in it. Man, check your heart. Not that you sin, you do, but can you waller around in it and be okay with it? Here's the third thing, a love for the things of God. 
this is, this is, I mean, kind of the New Testament here. Pat Summerall was a, uh, he was a professional athlete, and then he was a, a broadcaster for many years. I really like Pat Summerall. Pat Summerall was a drunk, alcoholic, life of the party. He said any time when he landed in a new town, the first place he was looking for was the bar. <laughs> Where's the party? In his late 60s, he got born again. And Pat Summerall was baptized, and he said, now when I land in a new town, here's the first thing I say, where's the Bible study? <laughs> you know why? Because God changed his heart. Man, I'm not, I'm not all trying to be critical. I'm trying to help you. If you have no desire, I mean, church is just always miserable. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. You have no interest in those things. I love you, but I'm telling you, you're probably lost. Because a person who has the Spirit of God in him is going to have a desire for the things of God. Here's number four, a love for people. Boy, 1 John just beats this one right here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, it basically says, if you have Christ in you, you will love other people. If you don't love other people, you're not from God because God himself is love. It goes on in that same chapter, and it says, how can you say you love God whom you've not seen when you don't love and you're not nice or kind to the people you do see. David Jeremiah is a, a great preacher and writer in California. I, I read this week something. He said, and I love the way he phrased it. He said, a person who's truly saved has compassion for other people. You see, the Pharisees, one of the things they were known for, listen to me, one of the things they were known for, they could beat you over the head with their Bible. They could win the argument and make you feel horrible. They would run the church, the synagogue, they would dominate, they were bullies, and most of them, Jesus said, were going to bust hell wide open. And one of the most flagrant things about them is they did not love other people. If Christ lives in you, there is a love and compassion for others. And lastly, I would ask you, what is the Spirit saying in your heart right now? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, it basically says the Holy Spirit confirms that you're a child of God. Two, two or three things are happening right now. Some of you have checked out because you don't want to hear what I have to say. I understand that. Some of you right now, there is a peace in your heart because God's saying to you, you're my child. Others of you, you are very uncomfortable. You want this sermon to end. You want to be able to leave. You want to get out of here. And that's the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's the Holy Spirit telling you Something's not right. Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying in you right now. Carla Faye Tucker. Anybody know that name, Carla Faye Tucker? She was like the first woman executed in Texas in over 100 years. In February of 1998, she was executed. Years earlier, her and another a guy had gone in on a drug deal in Houston. And I'm not going to go into the details. They brutally murdered some people. And... She was a drug addict. She may have been a prostitute. I mean, she was a wild child. They even said even in the courtroom during the trial, she laughed. She was nonchalant. She was given the death sentence. While she was in prison, she gave her life to Jesus. Here's what someone who had known her before she went into prison and who knew her after she got saved. Here's what they said. There is no doubt Carla deserved to be in prison she deserved the sentence she got. She was a wicked, wild, evil person. And then I saw no doubt that Carla was born again because she, something happened when she was in prison at a specific time when she started loving people and loving the things of God and she was sorry for what she had done. She wasn't perfect, but her life had changed. Isn't that great? 
Is that true about you and me? And I want to go back one more time and just say what Jesus said. You must be born again. If you've got a Bible or you look it out on the screens with me, it's easy to miss this in our English. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he could not see the kingdom of God. When he said, truly, truly, guys, honestly, Jesus may have put his hands on Nicodemus' shoulders in a loving way. And he may have looked him right in the eye and said, Nicodemus, I'm telling you, this was emphatic. This was with passion. You've got to give your life to me. You've got to have an experience with me that's a new birth, that's so radical, it's going to change your life. Because if you don't, Nicodemus, no matter all the greatness in your life, you're going to miss me for eternity. How that must have shocked him. What is it saying to you this morning? I've had all week to wrestle with it. You've just had a little time this morning. But I want to go back to Nicodemus and I want to look at some of you. And I really do. I I know a lot of you have been your pastor for a long time. And I love you. But you're not going to heaven if you're not born again. You say, well, you don't know who my parents are. I know who a lot of your parents are. And that's good. Well, we got money. That's awesome. Well, I'm powerful. I've got influence in the church and the community. That's wonderful. I can beat you in Bible trivia. I'm a deacon. I'm a minister. I sing on the praise team. I play in the band. I teach a Sunday school class. I'm a leader in my organizations at the church. None of that, none of that, none of that is going to get any of us to heaven. Jesus says we must be born again. So I want to ask you this morning, have you? And more importantly, I want to ask you, will you? Will you this morning? Let's pray. I'm going to jump right to it. If you're you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit's ringing your bell right now. You're unsure if you are. And you're ready to cross that line with Jesus. These aren't magic words, but if you're willing right now to sincerely pray this to Christ... He'll save you. He'll save you right now this morning. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I I admit to you I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and you arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. I want to ask you to keep your eyes closed and your head bowed just for one more moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for one more moment. I, I want to ask you, if you just prayed that with me and you really meant it, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand if you prayed that? Thank you. Thank you. Let me have your attention. You're a Christian, you come and pray. You come and pray for one of your friends or family members. You want to join the church, you can do that now. You can do that after church. But I believe a number of you just prayed with me and asked Jesus to come into your life. Some of you didn't, but you need to, and you need to this morning. 
You can catch us after church. Certainly we'll be happy to counsel you. Or you can come right now this morning when we stand. We had a young lady in her 20s come and do that in the first service. Come do it now. Her husband came with her. Maybe you, you need to come with somebody. Come do it now. But let's stand and let's act on Jesus' words right now.